We're in uh, part nine of the lesson, and we're going to be talking about, this is where he, he's going to talk about being a steadfast Christian. Being a steadfast Christian. See, we as Christians need to be uh, steadfast in the Lord. So we need, to put, we need to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. We need to be all in. The, the, 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and move, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We need to follow him and know that our outcome, we might not see the outcome. See, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem is we might not see the outcome. You see, you see, many accept Christ. Many people accept Christ. But many also backslide. Many never mature or grow in the Lord. Charles Spurgeon says this about backsliding. The sun will shine on the dunghill. It does. Always. When the sun's out, it's shining on the dunghill. Agree with this totally. But Christ will not shine on the backslider while he is indulging in his lust. And by the way, lust isn't just what we would associate lust with. Lust is anything that detracts you from Christ. You can lust over anything. It doesn't have to be sexual. You can lust over having a better this. Or the next this. Or another one of those. You see, these kinds of people live by their moods or emotions. And I have to be careful. Because I'm a very emotional human being. It's the way God made me. He made me very emotional. He made me to express them emotions. So I found when I was early in my Christian walk, it was like being on a roller coaster. I was either all the way up here or all the way down here. It was like this. Because here's the thing. When you allow emotions to control your Christianity, you end up accepting Christ like a million times, by the way. You go to a conference. I had accepted Christ in this church, first Sunday, 2003, okay? And then that same year, I go to a a men's conference, uh, Promise Keepers, and I'm there, and they do an altar call. I'm down there accepting Christ again. I'm like, because at the conference you've got everything that's going on and all these emotions are swirling. And, and, and do you know what I noticed about them conferences? Because I've went to a lot of them, of, of conferences over the years. And, and what happens is, and I only know from a guy's perspective, but I think the women's would be probably the same. You go to them conferences and you, it's like snorting cocaine. I've never snorted cocaine. I'm just imagining this. 
I've done some other stuff, but I've not done that. But I can imagine, you know that, the high that they say you get the first time you snort cocaine, and you're high, and, and you want to, you, 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 suddenly you want to do all this other stuff. Suddenly you want to, so these people go to a conference, and they, they, they so this is me, by the way. You go to a conference, a two-day conference, first conference I ever went to, Go to that, you come back and you're pumped up. You are so high, but, but you've, you, it's, it's really not growth. And I'm not saying God can't use it, but you follow them people. They come back from them conferences and they're all the way up here and they're going to change the world. They've come back and they're going to change the world because they've been to a conference and, wow, look at what God's doing in this movement. And we've got to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Two weeks go past and they are like ice. They need another conference. It's no different than drugs. It's no different than getting high. You chase the high. And emotional people, when they're emotional Christians, they chase the high. The feeling that they get. I will say that that is me worship, not God worship. You know, it's like when you come to a church and you go, well, I don't like the music they play. Oh, do we really have to sing that many songs? Do we really have to pray? Do we really have to do this? And because that doesn't make me feel good. I don't like the songs that they sing. It doesn't make me feel good. Well, I've got news for you. The reason you come to church isn't to make you feel good. I'm sorry if I'm going to break that to you, but that is not why you come to church. You come to church to learn about God and to worship Him. To worship Him. The reason we sing songs isn't to make you feel good. We sing songs to put your minds and hearts in the right place, pointing upwards to Christ. That is the whole point of worship. It's not, church is not about emotions. It's not about making me feel better. What is that saying you always say, Andrew? Give them, uh, give them grace. Look. Lead, lead. Of Jesus. Leading with, leading, leaving with Moses. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway. That is what we're like when we're, we're, we're just like this, when we're emotional people. And most of us, by the way, if we're really serious, how many people have been to a conference and been all pumped up when they've left the conference thinking they're going to change the world? And then within a couple of weeks, the motivation is gone because it was exterior. It was an interior. See, God... This is how I know how God works. God works inside out. He works inside out. That's why it takes so long for us to grow because we get the outside and we want to change. We want, we think, and the outside, it doesn't hold on. It doesn't stick. 
We have to change it inside. That's why I'm always saying, do these things because it will help you grow. Because when you live emotional like that, you permit small things to discourage you. So when something doesn't go your way, my life's not going the way I want it to go. Mm, I'm going to skip church this week. Does that, that saying it sounds stupid, doesn't it? My life sucks this week. This week I'm going to skip church because my life sucks. I mean, that's like saying, I've, I've got a really bad disease. There's a blue pill over there that I can take and it will cure me but I'm not going to take it. That is exactly what it's like. People do it all the time. Oh, I didn't feel very well. I didn't, uh, you know, I just didn't feel it this week. I'm not coming to church because I didn't feel it. I mean, I understand if you're genuinely sick, you can't go to church, okay? But if, you're, if you've had a crappy week, and you think not coming to church is a good idea because you just want to pull the, head, the covers over your head, you're mistaken. But when, when our, our faith is so shallow and it's on the outside and not the inside, that's what happens. We make poor decisions. We let stupid things from growing in our faith. I say this all the time. They're not willing. People like this are not willing to pay the cost of being a Christian. There's a cost to being a Christian because when you accepted Christ, you said no to the world. You don't realize that, most of us. But that is actually what you're supposed to do. When you say, yes, Jesus, you're the answer, I'm saying all else is not the answer. I'm saying you're the answer, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to start listening to the answer. But no, we keep turning back. Because them type of people are not steadfast, they give up being a Christian very easily. Have you heard the term deconstructing your faith? It's, it's, it's a hip thing, by the way. People are doing it today. It's hip. It's trendy. There's two ways they deconstruct. See, all of the political garbage that happened in the world in the last few years has caused a lot of famous people. Amy Grant deconstructed, walked away. You listen to her, her early songs that Christian, you'd go, Amy Grant walked away from God. She deconstructed her faith. She looked at it and go, well, and this is the problem. Why they people do this? Why people do this is they, they're so mad at the world because Christians are supposed to be conservative and then the conservative party that's in office does some stupid stuff, okay? And this isn't a political debate here, right? I'm not debating. And so do, and so do the liberal parties, Okay, nobody's right here. I'm not trying to, I'm not on a side here. I'm just telling you. But because of all the stuff went on, the, the, the people on, on the far right, 
And I'm talking far right, right? Not in the church far right. I'm, I'm talking the far right people. They're all like, well, we're not going to get involved in this race talks. We're not going to get involved in this. That's not our problem, basically. That was, and then the liberals are all, all in, and that's all they care about, the far liberals. There's no, there's no in-between, which we should be in between, and we should be all for. Uh, so I heard something really great this morning that was talking about race, and it was saying, was, it, it was talking about slavery because everybody wanted to throw up slavery in this person's face. And he goes, yes, it's something we need to, yes, it was wrong. We need to repent of it and move on. And move on and fix the problem that's today, not the problem from the past. But we walk away so easily from being Christians. I mean, when you can look at your faith and go, well, because I'm, I, I'm all the way over here, and uh, I'm going to... The, the, the Christians that are walking away are the ones that are probably in the middle to the, to the liberal side, and they're going... Well, the church is saying this, and it's the, the church, not God. The church is saying this, so I've got to look at my faith, and they start taking their faith apart. Some people come away when they deconstruct. They deconstruct to reconstruct what they believe. That's a good deconstruction, by the way. If you can look at your faith and go, look, this is what's wrong with it. Let's look at the, what the, it used to be like and see if it lines up, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, and it doesn't line up with uh, the views, and, and what, was, what, what it was thinking. That, that's not a bad thing. All deconstruction is not bad. Most deconstruction is bad, because they end up walking away from their Christianity because of political views. Nothing to do with the Bible. And these are people that are not steadfast in their, in their pursuit of Jesus. They're lukewarm Christians. And Jesus, not me, Jesus says he's going to spit them out anyway. He would rather you be hot or cold, not lukewarm. And that is my introduction, so we could be here for a long time. We're going to be in Hebrews 6, 1 through 8 to start. Because it's all the way through 20, but I am not going to, I'm going to read them as I point out some points about them. We, we have a warning to be serious. In the beginning of this letter, Hebrews uh, 1 through 6, this is a warning for us to take our faith seriously. So, Last week I said we weren't supposed to be childish Christians, and he's, he's saying it again uh, this week. Hebrews 6, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore let us leave the elementary doc- doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the light laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and let and eternal judgment. Let us go on to perfection. I say this all the time. 
we are supposed to be working towards that point. I can't find anywhere in the Bible that says you can accept Christ as your Savior and live however you want. Nobody's ever going to tell me that. Nobody's going to look me in the face and say that that's true because it's not. It's not in the Bible. And I take what the Bible says pretty seriously. And then I go and go, well, what did the early church people think about this? Well, they took it pretty serious too. For years, for years and years and years and years and years, they took being a Christian very seriously. And, and, and when they accepted Christ, they said, I choose to worship you, God, as God, creator of me. And I choose to say that your son, Jesus, is God. And he told me to follow him. So I am going to follow him. So that means I'm going to live as best as I can with the ability you've given me. The way he asked me to live. I'm going to make choices based on how he asked me to live. My whole life should be based on this as a Christian. It wasn't until the 20th century that people started going, hey, we shouldn't live like that. We should do whatever we want and still worship God. We can make our own choices up. God, it doesn't matter what God said. We will reinterpret it and reinterpret it till it doesn't say that anymore. There's a problem. Matthew 4.19 says this, And he said to them, talking to the fishermen, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. That literally meant, do what I do, And you will be fishers of men. It is fantastic that that I I look out here and all all these chairs are filled. There's still empty seats, so we can get more people in. And we have more seats. And I think that's fantastic. And I love that. But we, not me, we are supposed to be fishers of men and women. And we are supposed to lead them. But if we're not following Christ, and living, just like the video that introed, if you listen to it, I've always disliked, I'm glad I found a poem by, I think that guy writes some awesome poetry, uh, about the spoken word and that you need to speak with your mouth the gospel. I do believe you should live differently, but I believe lots of different religions tell you to live differently. If you don't speak about the good news, they don't know why you live differently. If you don't speak about Jesus, they don't know you live differently because of Jesus. They just think, this is what the world will say. Well, that Aldo's just such a sweet, nice guy. Why'd you look at him like that, Nicky? Okay. And he never says why he is a sweet, nice guy. That's what happens when you sit in the front row older. It'll be this turns later. And, and, and never ask him. They go their whole life just thinking that, oh, Aldo's just a nice guy. They don't realize that Aldo's actually an idiot. 
And he isn't a nice guy. He's only nice because of, he realizes what God has done for him. And he's changing, changed the way he lives. So he doesn't make the same idiotic choices he made when he was not saved. He now makes good choices most of the time because, because he knows what God has done in his life. So unless he tells people why he is a nice guy, how are they going to know why he's a nice guy? I don't like people who say, just live it. Just live it. It'll be okay. The Bible talks about speaking about it. We need to be consecrated. Hebrews 6, 3 says, and this we will do if God permits. God gives us the ability to do this. He pours it upon your lives. You see, we need to go on to deeper things. We need to grow and mature in the Lord and his ways. We need to mature. And this goes by, you need to read scripture. I'm a proud papa this week. Because my six-year-old grandson that would destroy the world if he could. He is wild and crazy, and I love everything about him. He will drive you crazy. I brought him to church, and, and, and it's water, so it doesn't matter, but he wanted a drink of water with this summer when I'm watching him, and he's doing the crab like this with the bottle of water, showing his sister that he can drink while he's doing the crab. And walking around with a bottle of water drinking. I mean, if this kid is not entertained, something's going to go. Don't give him a box of matches. That's all I can tell you. So Tuesday, I got I a picture sent to me. And I just, I, I really got when, when Jesus said that, that children will understand, okay, this week, God showed me. He, he is sitting, I think he's just in his underwear. I can't tell because he's got a blanket over him. Gets home from school, he strips off to his underwear. And he gets on the couch, and he goes, well, before he gets on the couch, because I get the picture of him on the couch, just no shirt on, blanket over his bottom half, and a Bible in his hands. He came home Tuesday night, and he goes, Mom, where's my Bible? Never, ever been by his mom or dad to read his Bible. Never been asked to read his Bible, except at Christian Life where he goes to school. Okay? A couple of weeks ago, she sent me a memorizing a memorize his memory verse. Okay? Then, she sends me this picture, and he's got like his Bible when he was two, so it's really baby. So yesterday, they, she took him Barnes & Noble, and Papa sent her the money to buy him his, his Bible for six to eight years. He spent, to get his Bible, he spent at least half an hour, 45 minutes in Barnes & Noble looking through all the age group six to eight Bibles to pick the one that, that he thought would be the best one for him to read. He got really excited because his name's Cain and my, my uh, son-in-law spelt it wrong, but he's seen his name in the Bible on this page because it said Canaan and where, where Canaan was. And he's like, got excited because Canaan, his name's in the Bible. I said, 
Hopefully one day he'll go to the, wherever you change your name and change it to the right spelling. But, uh, but anyway, so he gets his Bible and, and on the way home he said, Mommy, is it okay if I read my Bible when I get home? And she goes, why? And he goes, because it's important. He's six and knows that it's important to read his Bible. How can we struggle so hard to pick up ours? Yet we want to grow. There's not one person in there, if I asked you, that wouldn't put their hands up and said, gosh, I want to grow in Jesus. I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know how Jesus wants me to live. But it starts by reading and praying. We can be careless. He warns again about being careless in Hebrews 4, uh, verses 4 through 6. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says this, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted this heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. See, note the experience that he's talking about. You know the truth. You know the truth. He's warning. If you know the truth, you are partakers in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within you. You have tasted the good works of God. And you've had the hope of heaven. How? How? How could you walk away? If you have all of that, how could you walk away? I'm a big believer, by the way, in I believe we're, we're saved by grace and you can't lose your salvation. You can't lose it. I believe all these people that are walking away from the faith didn't have it in the first place. That's what I believe. That's what I think the Bible teaches. That's what I think. I don't think... That if you have all of these things for real, that you can walk away from God. You cannot walk away from him. Because like the text says, you would be crucifying him again for your sins when you went back. And you can't do that. He's already paid for your sins. People, you see, we think, I think there's two things. You're either saved or you're not saved. I think you can pretend to be saved. I think there's many people in the, in, in the history of the church that have walked forward, accepted Christ because of emotions or guilt. And they don't know Jesus. They know of Jesus. But they don't know Jesus. Six, seven through eight says, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it 
and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and it and its end is to be burned. See, at the beginning of that, God is compensating. God compensates. He is the one who makes the water fall. He is the one that does all of that. Okay? He allows it to happen. By the way, Hurricane Ian didn't take God by surprise. Jackie's kidney failure did not take God by surprise. She's here because God still wants her here. I think Jim still wants her here too. But, but God has the final say. And, 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 and God allows stuff to happen. And he, he gives us things that we do not deserve. As followers of Christ, we are compensated beyond means. You see, I will pay this till I'm dead. Everything I have, I don't deserve. Everything I have, I don't deserve. Because I believe I should be an oil spot on the ground or burning in hell. I also believe that all of you should be the same thing too, just so we're on the same page. I think that's what we deserve. I don't think that's what we got. I think that's what we deserved. So anything else I get, my wife, my son, my granddaughter, my mother-in-law, my future daddy-in-law, all of my family in church, that's a blessing to me. I think you can live differently when you go, look, I don't even deserve this. Yet I have it. I have a roof over my head. Wow, that's amazing. We would start looking at life differently if we looked at what we had and go, wow, I don't deserve any of this. If it was just four walls and a roof over the head, I wouldn't deserve that. I have indoor plumbing. God is good. He says this, if Christians don't produce fruit, they are of no value. John 15, 1 through 6 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. Live in me. That's what that says. Abide in me means live in me, and I will live in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, and he and he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, 
He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I'm going to make that my life verse, because I'm definitely going to make it my church life verse. Because if this church doesn't bear fruit, are we really a church? the church doesn't bear fruit, it's no different than the people. If we are really abiding in Christ, and Christ in us, we would bear much fruit. But it does say God does a little bit of pruning. So I'm hoping we're in the pruning stage and not the thrown in the fire stage. I believe God's got big plans. I believe we all need to be on the same page. I believe God's got big plans. And I believe he's doing some pruning. He's changing some things. That's how he prunes. And I believe he's going to reach people. And we are going to show that we bear much fruit. It saddens me. It saddens me. As I was thinking because of my grandson, I said, this is my perfect opportunity. He's going to get baptized. He's going to make his decision on his own. Papa's going to explain what it means. Uh, If he says yes, he says yes. If he says no, he says no. But when I was thinking about that, and I've said it a couple times in the out of the board meeting before, and I'm publicly saying it now. When was the last time you seen somebody baptized? If that doesn't change, if that doesn't change, we may as well lock the door, give the land away, and go elsewhere. We don't exist just for this. The text says bear much fruit, and it doesn't just mean in your life. Because, by the way, if it did, it would still mean this church would be going in the right direction. Because if fruit was being bad in your life, seats would be filled. People would be meeting Jesus. People would be accepting Jesus. People would say, I need to get baptized. That's hard. When you're the pastor of the church and you start thinking this stuff. I mean, it's just... It becomes real. And, and this is something that we need to work on. Hebrews uh, 6, 9 through 12. It's a warning to be steadfast. Here the writer turns to some persuasion in Hebrews 6, 9. He goes this, he he, he goes, though we speak in this way, all the things I just said, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. See, these people would be dedicated to the Lord. I'm asking, begging, 
that we become a church that's dedicated to Christ. That, that makes Christ number one in our lives. That means everything else, everything else is number two. That means Sue makes Jesus number one, John number two. John makes Jesus number one, John number two. And don't be laughing because I said number two. You make it. Yeah. These steadfast Christians have a promise. Hebrews 6.10 says this. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God has and will remember our work. Malachi 3.16 says this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. He will do the same here. He will remember the good. He will remember the times we lift him up. What we sow as a church and as a Christian, we will reap. Galatians 6, 7 through, 7 through 9 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I'm not ready to give up. I believe that, that God for the last 20 years has been working in my life as your pastor now to bring this church to this point today and continued to go. The, I believe that because I don't believe God makes mistakes and I believe that God has, like I keep saying, big plans. We have to accept them and be a part of them and want to be a part of the church. So being a part of the church means, hey, they're having a prayer meeting. We should go because we're members of the church. We should be there so we can lift up God, this church, the, 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 the area, the other churches, all of that. We can lift it up to God together. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be connected. If we are faithful, he will reward us. We need to be in prayer. Hebrews 6, 11 through 12 says this, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, 
to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through their faith and patience inherit the promise. And now we can look at the forefathers. We can look at the disciples and how they prayed. We can look at, we can look at early church, how they prayed. You know, I believe a big part of Paul's conversion didn't happen, didn't happen at the Damascus, on the Damascus Road. I believe a big part of his conversion started when Simon was praying for the crowd that was stoning him to death. That's what I believe. According to text, he was praying. Paul was holding the coats. Paul was going, yeah, go for it. Pick up bigger rocks. Come on. Hit him in the head. That was Paul. He was like the cheer squad. Yes, I'll be the coat rack and cheer you on. Go for it. This is going to be fun. We need to show diligence. Verse 11 says, We want each one of you to keep on working to the end. Then what you hope for will happen. We need dedication. We need to uh, not give up and don't quit. And we need to be faithful. See, I believe every seed that we plant will flourish and, 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 and grow. We might not see them flourish. I'm sure there's people that have prayed for me that never seen me get accepted for, by that me accept Christ. I believe there's people that prayed for, for lots of people or did things for people wanting this to happen in their lives, never got to see it. The seeds were planted. The seeds were planted by somebody else. And then there was more seeds and then more seeds and, 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 and more water. And they just kept watering the seeds that were put on. And you just keep watering and you keep growing. See, that's why we never need to give up. We don't need to give up. We don't need to quit. That means when you pray for somebody and you don't see the answers being prayed for, you pray and you pray some more and you pray some more and you pray some more because it's God's timing, not yours. You don't just pray one week and go, huh? God, I prayed for that person to accept you as the Savior and they didn't do it. I'm going to stop praying. I'm going to move on to the next person. Maybe we should focus on that one person and maybe that one person will meet Jesus and that one person could change the world. That one person could change the world. Revelations 2.10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. By the way, you might suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. And this is where 
not steadfast Christians go, I'm out. You mean there might be pain? There might be suffering? I might have to go out? I'm out. Be faithful unto, uh, unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Matthew 24, 13 says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a warning to be stable. Hebrews 6, 13 through 20 says that God is a promise keeper. Verse 6, 13 through 14 says this, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. He said, by my name, I'm God, not me. Don't take that out of context. God saying, I'm God. I'm going to swear by my own name. And I'm going to say, look, this promise I'm making to you, I'm going to keep because I'm swearing by my name. And I am almighty God. So here's what he's saying. God promised to Abraham was fulfilled. And God always keeps his promises. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and will not fulfill it? We need to have patience. Hebrews 6.15 says this. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained his promise. See, Abraham wanted a son. We know that because he made a few mistakes before he got the one that God had promised him. God does not answer our prayers. God answers our prayers, but in his way and his time, we need to be patient. Note these words of of James 5.17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. He prayed fervently. That means he consistently prayed. And what happened? It didn't rain. And it goes on to say, in verse 18, Then he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I love that phrase. He prayed again. Man, if I prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years, I'd be like, I'm going to ask you for some crazy stuff, God. That's why he didn't ask me to do this. But but I believe, and I, I, I said this uh in promotion for our, our Wednesday night, that, that, that prayer is the best weapon God gave us. That's the only weapon we should use, by the way. And, and he gave us prayer changes things. It changed things for Elijah, and it's going to change things for us. God is personal. Hebrews 6.16 says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, 
And all their disputes and oath is final for consummation. See, if you are an upstanding person, if you say, I'm going to do this, you do it. God is saying, look, I'm God. I don't change my mind. When God says this to you, he doesn't change his mind. God backs his promises with his name. And his name is a name above all names. God shows his power, Hebrews 6, 17 through 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to his, the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Note these two things. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. And he cannot lie. So if you read scripture and you see, hey, God said this, God means what he said. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son. Son and Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 6, 19, 20 ends like this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that endure, enters into the inner place beyond the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God said, look, I'm telling you, I paid the price. I've done all this. We can be sure of that. We can trust that. We know that he lives inside of us. We accepted him as our savior. So let us finish up by noting a couple of verses from earlier in Hebrews, if you're paying attention. Hebrews 3.14 says this, For we have came, come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And 3.6 says this, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are, that, we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What are we supposed to boast in? Not worldly stuff, in the hope that God has given us. We are also told we must overcome Revelations 3.5 says, The one who conquers will be clothed us in white garments, and I will never bolt his name, blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We have a promise that if you know God, you are saved. You have confidence in that. So what makes us not be able to live with that confidence? What makes us hide 
What makes us be so shallow? I have to ask myself this every day. I want you to ask yourself, are you living a steadfast life? Are you living wholeheartedly following Jesus, the Savior of the universe? Or are you just here to get emotionally filled for the week? Because if you come to church, you'll hear some good stuff and it'll make you feel better when you leave and and you happen to like the worship music and it's going to make me feel better so that'll get me through the next week. Because that's not what church is about. Church is about training Christians to go live their life and, and do what they believe by actions and telling people with their mouth by words. So next week, I want you to read Hebrews 7, 1 through, this week, getting ready, uh, seven, what, Hebrews 7, 1 through 28, to get ready for part 10 of our series, The Supremacy of Christ, and we'll be talking about the unchanging Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for giving us a guide uh, to how to live as Christians. Thank you for being a wonderful uh, counselor. Thank you for understanding where we are and who we are. And even in our pain and our weakness, you loved us. You still love us when we mess up, God, and, and we can't do this perfectly. But I pray that we just submit our lives to you and stop living an emotional roller coaster of faith and, and turn to live a steadfast life that is filled because of what you've done and what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.